game is the game. Join me, your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, as I travel on the journey to meet people from a variety of professions to find out what made them excel in their field. Walk with me. Welcome to The Game is the Game. I'm your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, and welcome back to another edition, another episode, another conversation. You know how I do. Choose the words that you want to describe it, but we are back again. First things first, thank you so much to everyone who continues to like, share, subscribe, tell a friend who tells a friend, etc. If you haven't done so yet, please do leave a review. Um, a rating if you're on a platform that allows you to do so you know go get the admin out of the way but we're here for another episode and obviously if you've clicked play you can see the title it's called the one about birth trauma and as I always say with every episode I'm like I never know who's listening and I always say to the guests you never know who listens to these episodes you if these episodes are useful to just one person I think you've made the world a better place. I think you've made a difference in in, in someone's life, etc. And um, I like to talk to people. But you know, this podcast is about talking to people about different professions. But we also like to talk about different topics, topics which are are meaningful, topics which um, possibly aren't spoken about enough in a certain kind of way. Getting deep into it, getting raw about it, etc., and uncovering the truths and. I'm delighted, I'm delighted to, to, to have on the show today Eileen Morrison, um, who is a birth trauma specialist, midwife, author um, of the birth debrief as well. And before I invite her on, I'll just tell you the quick story. Um, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know Eileen. And as we start this conversation, prior to me pressing record, we had about a 10-minute conversation. That's it. We've never spoken to each other before because everyone always thinks that I know the guests inside out. But I'm going to shout out my sister. Shout out my sister, Rochelle Hewitt. This is all because of her. Um, she has been on at me for at least a month and a half, if not longer, and said, you've got to get Eileen on. You've got to get Eileen on. You've got to break down this topic. Have this conversation. You'll love it, etc. So I fobbed her off as I do to my sister a lot of the time. I'm so sorry, sis. <laughs> I ignored her. And, um, but she kept going on and on and on to the point where I was like, maybe she knows Eileen personally. And, and okay, it's my sis, so i got to do it. I just found out just before press record that she doesn't even know her. <laughs> so, so my sister actually follows um, Eileen on all of her socials, which we'll get into later on in the show. And, once I started to do my research, I got it. I totally got why my sister had been on at me for so long to record this one. So happy, delighted to have Eileen Morrison on the show today to, to, to break down birth trauma and everything all around that. Without any further ado, Eileen, how you doing? I am fine, thank you. What an opening. I love that. <laughs> um, and yeah, shout out Rochelle because, you know, she's she's kind of orchestrated this. Um, and it's funny, the internet is a strange place because I feel like I know her. Like, as I said to you, I was like, she has just been like the most uplifting force. And I don't know her at all. But when she said, oh, what, how do you feel about going to my brother's podcast? I was like, well, for you. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think this is going to be a conversation that that needs to happen. Um, and it's going to open eyes and ears. And, and that's that's always good. And like you've said, you know, if you can help one person to get a deeper understanding of something or to be able to take ownership of something or name it, then that's a job well done. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here um to be sharing some some sort of uh some knowledge with you so i've given you like the intro i always try to do a, a, a long dramatic intro i guess <laughs> and i've given you the intro but i must admit that when i first started my my research and i saw the term birth trauma specialist and and also i want to get this off the off the bat from or get this off the from the jump that obviously i'm a guy and I'm not saying that to say that I can have no opinion on this. That's not my mm -hmm. point. But I more so say it to say there is going to be a certain level of naivety that I potentially mm -hmm. will, will carry in the midst of this conversation. There'll be a certain level of ignorance 
uh, and misunderstanding. And that's why the way I wanted to start, and I told you um, pre-record, is first and foremost just breaking down that term. Because what I think birth trauma may be and what it is about and what it entails is probably a very, very simplistic understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so I'm not going to give one. <laughs> so what so, where I want to start is when you meet people, whether it's online and I've seen some of the like messages that you get mm-hmm. and both good and bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you kind of meet people virtually face to face, etc. Um, how do you break down what the term is? both for, and this may be a bit hard, both for people who are already welcome into it mm-hmm. and maybe people who are a bit resistant to mm. what it may or may not entail. Yeah. So, you know, the best way that I can explain doing that is by letting them do it themselves. Mm. You know, I think if we were to look at what birth trauma is, when we look at the definition of it, it's a sort of shorthand term for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, associated with the perinatal period. So this is from preconception to post postpartum. So that's across a significant amount of time that we know impacts women significantly, but also their families and often their babies. So that's kind of, you know, birth trauma is not PTSD, mm. but it has, there's a bit of crossover between birth trauma and PTSD. So some of the symptoms are quite similar, such as flashbacks, um, sort of feeling very nervous, apprehensive, anxious, going past the place where that happened, um, you know, nightmares, things like that, which are associated with PTSD, but also with birth trauma. So when people come to me, because the space that I'm offering is not requiring a definition it means that they don't even kind of know. They're like, I think I'm traumatized, or I think I'm uncomfortable, or I think, and I, and I and I just say, well, you are how you are, and it doesn't matter, because if we are determined to focus on a definition, we will be missing a vast number of people within the population who don't right, necessarily yeah. align with that definition. So it's like, actually, I'm not going to tell you what you are. We're just going to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when we when we think about trauma. Trauma is not what happened. It's about the internal response to the external situation, mm. which means that we couldn't actually give it a definition. We couldn't say, oh, that's traumatic because, well, the response is internal, which means it's deeply subjective. So I can't go around saying to people, oh, that's traumatic or that was traumatic or you have birth trauma or you have perinatal trauma because they might be like, I'm absolutely fine, you know, like, you know, what was traumatic for me might not be traumatic for you. And so I never say to people, oh, well, sounds like you're traumatized, unless it actually does, having listened to them and them seeking a definition or something that they can identify with. My biggest thing that I say to people is we don't focus on titles and we don't focus on definitions. We just focus on feelings. And if we focus on feelings, it allows you to take ownership of what is coming up for you rather than what I'm saying it should be or is or what so-and-so says it is. Because, you know, we live in a time where we have such exposure to lots of different things that we can be like, well, her birth was so much worse than mine. I have no right to be traumatised. And it's like, if you were to ask her how she felt, it's probably very similar to how you felt. That's it. So we don't need to know the ins and outs. We just need to focus on the feeling. So, yes, that's the sort of roundabout kind of, you know, definition of perinatal birth trauma. But in my work, I don't necessarily kind of say you have to have this in order to feel this. I'm like, what do you feel? And then we can work through what we think this is if it has a title. How? How? What? No, not how, actually. What made you want to become a specialist in this? And maybe in some senses that's a massive question because it may unpick a, a longer, deeper story. And by all means, go into it. But what was what was the the, the 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 kind of flashpoint turning point that made you say, "I need to, I need to dive into this. I need to do some work around this. I need to help people with this." So, 
back in 2018, I'd been a midwife for about 18 months. Um, and I had my daughter and I was going for a home birth and everything was, you know, had it all figured out and ended up with an emergency cesarean section. Now this in me, it brought up a lot of things and I really struggled in that first sort of six to eight weeks of motherhood and it kind of continued on, but less so. Fast forward to her being about 14 months old and I went back to work and I was working in a very busy London trust and I was in an emergency situation that I had attempted to escalate and no one was listening to me. And when things went south, I froze. And I realized that a lot of my own stuff was coming up for me. You know, the fact that this person wasn't being listened to, that things were being done to her that, that she didn't agree with or didn't ask for. And lots of stuff came up for me. And I was like, you know what? You you can't be here. You can't be here. This is not, you're not, you're not, you know, I'm a big believer in kind of like serving the people I am serving. And being in that state was a disservice to them. So that same day I handed in my notice. And I had no idea what I was going to do, but I was like, I just can't be here. Mm. Um, so fast forward a couple of months, I'd applied for another job. But in that time, I'd been doing a lot of sort of self-reflection on what had been happening for me, what had come up for me, what that meant. Um, if I did consider myself traumatized from my birth or if there were just elements of trauma within that story. And I realized that actually there wasn't really anything there for those who had elements of trauma, but didn't have full blown PTSD and didn't have postnatal depression or anxiety, but they just felt deeply impacted by their experience. So my husband ended up being locked down in Spain um, at the beginning of COVID. And that left me at home with our 18 month old daughter. And luckily enough, I was with my sister and my parents, um, but he was locked down for four months. And so I started wow. a blog and I was like, well, I'll just start mixing our motherhood, whatever. Um, and very rapidly it blew up. But what was happening is as I shared different parts of my parenting journey and birth story and things like that, lots of people were finding it very relatable. And I was getting DMs all the time about people's traumatic experiences. And at this point, I decided I wasn't going to take the hospital job. I was just going to live off my savings for a bit and see what happened. And... Um, and then I was like, but hold on, people are sending me their birth stories all the time and I'm advising them and I'm hearing them and I'm supporting them. And why don't I see if I can offer this as a service? Yeah. Offer it as a service. With it, So the first couple of weeks I had sort of two, three sessions. Um, and then within about a month, I had a waiting list of about six weeks. Wow. So it just kind of really skyrocketed. And I realized that I'd essentially tapped into a niche that, didn't have anyone there um and there are I'm not so don't get me wrong I'm not the big innovator of this there are people that were offering it anyway but I think perhaps in the style that I was offering it maybe people weren't um and so yeah the rest is history so I saw the need figured out my own stuff found a need filled the gap um and that was coming up to three years ago now um and here I am <laughs> I'm gonna I want to dive into that a tiny bit more. Mm. And this is probably, again, I'm wary of anything I say from any position of like ignorance, so to speak. I would have thought that you can see I'm trying to pick all my words. Carefully. <laughs> I, would have, I would have thought that this was a issue mm-hmm. that, Okay, so let me explain why I'm asking this question because then you might understand where I'm coming from. When my child was born, one of my biggest bugbears at the time was there's not enough out there for dads who are going mm. through actually something similar to what you're saying, just not being not not necessarily PTSD, even though there's probably nothing not enough out there for that as well. But mm-hmm. um, just something you're feeling something, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're feeling something, right? Yeah. Um, and when I'd go into shops, I'd be like, wow, look how many like books and mm-hmm. um services that are geared towards motherhood and i'm not and i'm and i'm not angry at that i'm just saying that i yeah, noticed yeah. that so okay. i'm just what i'm trying to dive into is ha- the niche that you saw why is that a niche i guess i think that's what i'm asking actually mm-hmm. how how has how was that in all the myriad of kind of books and services that are there and rightly so, 
how comes that area wasn't already being covered in any why do you think that area wasn't being covered in any great depth so like i said i don't you know i'm not a great innovator but mm. i don't i don't do up faux humility so that's not what we're going to get here um in terms of yes i'm not an innovator but i have a particular style that perhaps encourages people to feel seen and to reach out and to kind of want to have a conversation um that doesn't it's not prescriptive it's not mm. saying you know you need to tick these boxes in order to get it so hospitals have um most hospital trusts have a birth reflection service but a lot of people don't tick the boxes they're not traumatized enough to warrant mm. that or they'll be given like an eight month waiting time and it's like what um but also it's particularly clinical whereas my focus is always on the feeling like I said to you before so it's like hold on it felt like this and this has impacted you like this but people weren't doing that because I think we live in times where we focus on the immediate all the time like you know if we look at modern medicine it focuses on the symptom rather than the root right. so a lot of these things when people would go to like a birth reflections and they were told oh yeah well your baby ended up in special care um but you know everything was fine so cool like yeah you should be grateful whereas i'm like hold on hold on hold on hold on let's look at what that brought up let's look at how that felt let's also look at how that may translate later in that relationship with that child mm. and how perhaps you might feel like a hypervigilance or a kind of deep connection or the opposite which is like you struggle to bond with them because there's been a separation like you know a very very holistic view of what happened to elicit those feelings of struggle, sadness, anger, frustration, trauma. Um, and and I think that that wasn't really being done. And the thing that I was doing is I was opening up my sessions to couples and well, to partners. I was about to that, yeah. So it wasn't just partners. Um, it wasn't just a woman because I feel like that's a lot of what was happening as well. Like you said, there's lots of books, there's lots of everything because it's the woman, the woman, the woman. And it's like, but what about the perspective of the partner? Because they are also living something and it doesn't take away from what the other person has gone through, but it deserves the space itself. And so a lot of people were having that like relationship breakdowns, their partners had gone like very insular and, you know, their intimate life was just, had just gone to like, wasn't happening and all of these things. And they just needed the space to feel heard and understood. And I suppose that's what I was offering. Um, so in many ways, yes, birth trauma is not niche in itself. But the holistic view of birth trauma and the bigger picture view of birth trauma um, by someone who is not associated with the hospital trust, so is, has no fear of litigation in that way, mm. whose loyalty is only to you in that space, but who also has a lot of experience just being with the people. And I think, you know, I've grown up in a very big Muslim community in Norfolk and I'm with people all the time my mum was one of the wisest women I've ever known and it was like that is it's like okay look bigger look bigger look bigger look broader and I feel like that has probably been the thing that has that was the gap that needed to be filled and that you know we can't expect that of of our NHS services because they don't have time capacity nor do they really care that much um but we can from someone who is offering something in in sort of privately in their own time um and that's what I do I give the time and I delve deeper and I think for a lot of people they want to go beyond the surface but they don't know what is beyond the surface and sometimes right, yeah. when you face some type of trauma it can feel like a huge beast so to be held in the exploration of what is beneath the surface can feel very safe and very comfortable and can be illuminating um and validating and really helpful for people. What do you try to work towards, mm. right? Um, I'm looking at my piece of paper and the word I'm, I'm looking at, <laughs> the reason why I've asked this question is because I'm looking at the word healing. <laughs> so, mm. so this is why I've asked this question. Mm -hmm. what, what do you try to work towards? What is success, I guess? And can, hmm, 
because everyone's success is different, isn't it? So it's not like yeah. there's this is the success. Yeah. Um, but what are your sessions about in terms of what? Where do you try to get that person to? Yeah, is it just their own form of healing? So the aim of my work is always reflection and reframing. Mm. So a lot of the time when we're in like a traumatized state or in a disappointed, dissatisfied, angry state, it's very cyclical. And we're just going round and round the same thing. It's like, and then why didn't I say this? And I'm back on the train. And I could have done this and I'm back on the train. It's going round and round. And I basically try and take you from the circle back to like this line, which is helping you to move through this. And that's mm. through reframing it. So if you say an example, you're like, but I could have said something. And I say to you, but could you have? Mm. And you say, well, hold on. And I say, you were exhausted. You were vulnerable. You weren't being heard. Mm. And you go, hold on, I've been telling myself for like nine months that I could have said something. But actually, if I asked myself if I could have said something, then actually maybe I couldn't have. And that takes you off that loop and helps mm. you to start moving through. So I don't give any kind of promises of at the end, you're just going to feel lighter and it's going to be healed, whatever that looks like. Um, because I don't set anyone up to fail and I don't overpromise. Um, I've learned that as a mother, like if you overpromise. <laughs> your child will hold you accountable. Um, and so I I say to them, the only aim here is to help you to move with your trauma, to move in it. So mm. it's like, I can leave you after an hour. And my only thing is, is that I want you to get off the loop and start taking steps forward. That means I've had people come back to me and be like, do you know what, really after our session, I'm still angry. And I'm like, that's good. That's mm. good because you've moved past the self-loathing and you've gone into anger. Now let's talk about what to do with that anger. So it's like, don't, don't tell them, oh, you'll feel healed. This is miraculous. You'll feel better. You won't feel traumatized. Why? I, I can't tell you that because I'm not you. But I can tell you that we are going to take steps within this so that you can carry it along with you. To kind of minimize it and say, you'll be over it. You'll be fine. It kind of downplays what this impact of this huge life-altering event could be. So it's like, actually, I'm not going to do that to you. This will always be with you. And it will sometimes feel heavier. And other times you might not even notice its weight. But you'll carry it with you. And I just want to work out and work with you so that when you carry it, it feels a little bit lighter. And when you carry it, you know what you're carrying. And you can explain it if you needed to, but you can validate it and you can give it the space that it warrants without trying to tell it, oh, shut up. Like, I don't need to be traumatized. You're not traumatized enough. It wasn't that bad. Da, 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 da. So, yeah, if you know, in, in, in short, it's just to help you to move through your trauma and carry it with you in a way that feels at least a little bit more comfortable. Let's talk prevention, not cure. Mm. Not that you're offering cure, by the way, but you, you'll see why I framed it that way. Mm. And again, I'm trying to think about my personal, not that I'm, I'm not making about myself, but it helps me on to help me to, to, to break down these kind of questions to you. Do you think more could be done in the pre-pregnancy stage or the, 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 the early pregnancy stage to prevent some of the aspects of trauma or do you think that's gonna come anyway sorry no sorry i know, I know i'm trying to say do you think there could be better signposting preventative work slash understanding of what may be coming and the reason why i'm so asking you this is because again i'm thinking back to my process right and i always say to people when i talk about the birth process like i was the one giving birth but you know what i mean right mm -hmm. um I wish someone had told me a bit more about some of the feelings I might experience and that it was okay to feel that and that there were, do you get what I'm trying to, do you get what I'm trying to say here? And so I guess in hearing what you're saying, because some of those feelings that I had, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to use this as a, as a guide for anybody, male, female, etc., who's gone through this process put me in a loop of rather than thinking this is normal and it's okay more so a feeling of guilt 
why am I thinking these things and, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, mm -hmm. right? And I just look back now and go, could more have been done? Could there have been a better offering pre mm -hmm. the whole process that would have helped me understand that when those feelings came and by by default, I'm just also assuming for the, for the mother in the same kind of circumstance, that it would have been feelings that I knew were normal. And yes, it may still have been levels of trauma mm -hmm. and whatnot, but mm -hmm. at least I knew they were things that, do you get what I'm trying to say? A long-winded way of trying to explain something. What are your views on that? So, you know, there are going to be several things. Yes. In, in short, yes. You know, I think a lot of the time, particularly for first-time parents, um, there's a lot of romanticization of the whole process. And this is why my work is always extended, sort of it goes from preconception and extends well into the postpartum period. A lot of our birth prep prepares us for birth and then kind of drops us and, mm. you know, <clears throat> the services, healthcare services do the same thing. We're dropped in the postnatal period and it's like, oh, okay, then fine. Um, and so, you know, I definitely think that we're too romantic. However, you only know what you know. And when it's your first time, you don't even know what you need to know. And so if anyone tries to tell you, oh yeah, well, it could be, you're like, no, 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 positive vibes only. Or, you know, I don't want to be traumatized by hearing someone else's trauma or whatever. And it's not mocking that. But it's to say that actually when people say, if only I'd have known, why didn't I ask? It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You didn't know what you didn't know. You didn't know what you needed to know. And so actually it's about you showing yourself the grace of being like, I just, I, it was guesswork. Like I was just trying to feel my way out in the dark. And mm. so it's like, okay, fine. Because now in a subsequent experience, you were going to it differently. You'd be like, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. However, in my book, I speak about the importance of the preparation in the sense of the language that we're using, the anticipation of things, creating buffers for potential. And that's the most important thing for me is that you create the buffer for the potential because it's to say that you won't all feel traumatized. You won't all feel guilt. You won't all feel shame. But if you do, what do you have in place? Mm. And that's not going to be meals in the bloody freezer, is it? <laughs> So it's like, right, all I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I am aware that this might come up for me. And then I'm going to put things in place to support me. And, and that could be getting the books. That could be having the contacts with people that could help you. That could be moving in with your family in case you need it or whatever that looks like. So that's the first thing. It's like, actually, we just, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we need to know, but we need to create the buffers for the potential of what might occur. Mm. That is probably my biggest piece of advice, particularly if you're a first time parent. But the thing is, it extends beyond antenatal education, which at the moment, you know, there's good and there's not so good, but I think mm. we do better. Um, this is cultural. This is cultural. Mm. You know, we have to look at how race and ethnicity play a big part in how we approach birth, how we approach mental health, how we approach physical recovery, how we approach community, all of those things, how we approach healthcare and healthcare providers. All of those things play a huge part in our preparation. And for me as a black woman, and as a black Muslim woman, so we're now talking, there, there are layers to this. With a white husband, another layer, it's like I had to approach birth very differently. And I live in, in Norfolk. Like this is so, this place is so white. Like Layers you know, upon layers upon layers. Layers upon layers upon layers, you know. <laughs> and um, this meant that, like, I didn't have the grace to be ignorant. I, I didn't get to do that. I didn't get... <clears throat> perhaps the softness that would be allowed for my white counterparts and the feelings of safety that perhaps they have, because we know factually that black women are over four times more likely to die in pregnancy, childbirth and the postpartum period than their white counterparts. <clears throat> this has been proven. This is not us making things up, being angry black women and being victims of whatever. This is the reality for many of us. And those statistics have not changed by more than a point in a percentage in years mm. and so when black women and black families are preparing for birth it's different it's a whole different experience when we 
approach antenatal education, when we approach antenatal appointments, it is very, very, very different. Um, when we approach advocacy for our children, it is very, very different. When we think about trust and we know that as a black, as black people, our trust in medical professionals is not great historically for very valid reasons. And we have then the flip side of it, which is that a lot of us are second generation immigrant children or migrant children. And this means that our parents, colonialism was colonialising, <laughs> that's yep. even a word. Yep, yep. And <clears throat> for a lot of black and brown people, we have, our parents have this sense of gratitude to the West. You know, well, England saved us, well, da 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 Well, you know, we should be grateful because we could be in the bush trying to give birth and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, <clears throat> the normalisation of poor practice because it happened to your mum, it happened to her sister, it happened to your auntie, it happened to so-and-so. And so it's just become the norm. Mm. And then it's like, well, it could have been, it could have been worse. Well, don't complain. Well, we should be grateful, you know, and that really does impact us through the generations so that, you know, if I, like if I say, for example, to my grandma, like, they were so rude to me. She's like, sorry. She's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, who do you think you are? And we're, we're now trying to make a change in this. We're, we're trying to be the generation to be like, nah, I'm not accepting not, that. Not I, I so, you know, I've now gone off on a tangent, but you get what I'm saying. Like, you know, it's not as simple as birth education is everything. It's like, there are so many layers to this whole thing in terms of how we approach birth and how we can prevent birth trauma and perinatal trauma. Um, that it's not as simple as, you know, better birth education. That's my point. Do you know what? So I'm going to say something to you. <laughs> they were, I, I don't, do you know, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Cause I don't like, say, I don't know who, li who listens to these, um uh episodes if you do listen to these episodes i'll get in touch and let me know <laughs> um there'll be someone at least one person listening to this who will go oh here she goes with the race thing mm -hmm. right and i'm saying that on purpose and i have it written down in my notes i said i'm gonna talk to Indian about ethnicity and gender because it's gotta come up it's gotta come up otherwise it's too big to ignore right mm -hmm. How much of a barrier to your work has you been willing to talk about that? Mm. Do you, because it would be easy. It would be easy for you to not confront it. It would be easy for you to still do what you're doing and not have the difficult conversation around that. I think I was on your Instagram the other day. I think you put up an, an an anonymous message. It might have been in your stories or whatever. It was a few, might be a few weeks ago, months ago, month ago or something. And I, 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 I'm paraphrasing, but essentially somebody was saying to you, why do you always have to make this about something along those kind of lines? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> <laughs> What's the barrier? You've worked within the system and obviously you're working the way you're working now as well. What is the, for those who don't understand, You've been inside, you've been looked from the outside in, being inside in. Why is it the way it is? What are the barriers? Is it intentional? Mm. <laughs> um, go with, you know what, just go with that. <laughs> go yeah. with that. Take, yeah. take that wherever you want to take it. So the first thing is black women will be held to higher account all the time, all the time. You know, it will be, we don't get to make mistakes we don't get to like get it wrong we don't get to misstep um and we also aren't allowed the softness of being upset yes. or being hurt or being triggered um and responding in a way that is organic to us which perhaps may be perceived as aggression through those unconscious biases but actually it is just an emotional reaction which we are mm. allowed to have um <clears throat> for me so in that you know the summer of 2020 black square summer like it was amazing like everyone wanted to hear it everyone wanted to be like oh my god yeah 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 we're gonna make changes and da, da, da. and 
<laughs> that you was know, a long time ago, you know. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I mean, that should come up in like a history GCSE. Um, now it's not happening anymore. Now people are just like, oh, we're so bored of it. We're so bored of, you know, you making everything about race. But you know what it is? As a black woman, I don't get to be bored. So, so mm. stay bored if you want. Like that's that's a you issue if you're bored. I don't get to be bored because I have black children. You know, I've got black sisters. So for me, it's like, this barrier is yours. It's not mine. You know, yes, of course, sometimes it really gets on my nerves. I'm like, what do you mean? Why do you have to make everything about race? Like, why do I have to educate you? You know, and, and you have to approach it like that because if you don't, it chips away at you. And actually, like, I'm not here to give my life for anyone. So it's like, actually... I have to just take it for what it is. Like, yeah, you want to come to me like this? I'll just, uh, like, you know, I, I say to people, like, I may be big, but I'm not the bigger person. If you take it low, I'll take it lowest. You know, like, it's, it will be, I will come back and I don't care how you perceive me because that's your own biases. I am who I am. I said what I said and everything I say, I say with my chest, perceive it how you like. Now, the thing is, because it is backed, is backed by, education and knowledge and fact and passion and integrity and honesty people can't really say anything <laughs> they can't they can't really they can try and they say it's like oh it's all about race card it's like whatever like I said to you before when, when I brought up the statistic about black women it's like it's proven by fact so if you want to call it a race card that's a you issue I know that that's not what this is but in terms of the barriers that that creates In some ways, it will be that I won't get the opportunities that my white counterparts will get. I won't even get the opportunities that my lighter counterparts will get. Mm-hmm. And this is where colorism comes into play and things like that. But, you know, <clears throat> I have stood by and watched people with much less knowledge, much less ability to say what they need to say, less and I'm not a stickler for qualification. Like, I'm like, you know, experience, is, experience speaks volumes. But if we're going to look at qualification and who is qualified to speak on a topic, I have been overlooked time and time and time again. And that is one of those things that I have to just swallow. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, you know, <clears throat> I'm a big believer in, like, you know, what's for me doesn't miss me. So if, yeah. if God has removed that opportunity for me, it wasn't an opportunity. <clears throat> and so that's fine. But. That's the reality of it. That's the reality of being black in a social media space, but also in a professional space. And and kind of, um, what's the word, the phrase I'm looking for? Like where you put your head above the parapet. Is that the one I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's like where you're going, I'm just going to say it. No one else is saying it, but I'm going to say it. Like this was definitely a race issue. I'm going to say it. And you got to be ready, you know, that that is not necessarily going to be perceived very well. Or, um, But, you know, I, I say it over and over again, like, I am very blessed to have a very loving family. I have a loving husband. I have two children. I am not here to be liked by the masses. Like, I'm not the Pope. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I don't need that. I do this because it serves something within me and it serves this community that I have created through mixing up motherhood that I adore. Um, But if you don't like me, I don't mind. (laughs) Like, so, you know, if you go into this wanting to be liked, that's how you find that you hold back. That's how you find that you aren't honest. That's how you find that you can often lose integrity um, because the aim ends up being about being liked and being Mm. nice. And, you know, I'm kind, but I'm not nice. And it's like, if you like me for me, I'm very happy. We'll have a good time. And if you don't, that's absolutely fine. Mm. Um, So, you know, the long and short of it, I keep giving very long answers to your questions, but, you know, the risk of this is missing opportunities, not being liked, being rejected even, and also having to take some of the harsh blows on the chin and get back up and be like, no, but I'm I'm doing this for black women. I'm doing this for white women. I'm doing this for all women because me, I don't discriminate. Trauma doesn't discriminate. So how could I discriminate? Yeah, yeah. But if we're fighting for black women, we're fighting for all women. Because if black women get better care, all men get, get better care. If more black women live, more women live. Yeah. You know, so it's like, this is for all of us. And if more women live, then more partners have
have partners. More children have mothers. You know, we if this is a this is a bigger fight. And so I don't need to be liked to know that I'm doing something good. And speaking of doing something good, mm. you recently uh, released, was it March this year? It was this year, wasn't it? Yeah. The book, right. So <clears throat> March this year, your book came out, The Birth Debrief. Needless to say, people, I mean, the plug was going to be at the end, but I've already done the plug. Now. <laughs> but needless to say, people, go get that, uh, The Birth Debrief. Um, it'll be in all the descriptions as well in case you need the links, etc. But um, this is interesting to me about the, the writing the book and <sighs> did you at any point when when you made the decision I'm gonna try write about this mm. I, I've got a wealth of knowledge to share was there a part of you that thought write a book imposter syndrome because of what we can perceive an author to be or whatever an author looks like talk me through your book process when I guess two things here for me when did you, what was the push to make you realize, I can do this, I can write mm. a book on this? Um, and how did you feel during the whole process of it all the way through to when you finally got your hands on your own book with your yeah. name on it, ready <laughs> ready to put out into the, into the, to, to the wider, wider global yeah. community? So I was home educated from the age of six to 16. Mm. and when I went to college I remember my science teacher telling my dad like she should not study anything to do with health or like science because she's terrible at science um but also being diagnosed with dyslexia and be like oh my gosh and to be honest with you it had never come up in my education I was always just absolutely fine with writing and everything was fine and suddenly I was getting these titles you know you're rubbish at this you're dyslexic and that means this and da 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 da, da. and you know that was really like I really struggled from 16 to when I finished uni and I was, I think I was 23 when I finished uni. Um, and I really struggled with that whole period of academia. And I knew I was smart. I knew I had, I had, I could answer you. Like I could argue as like, true Sagittarius that I am. Like I could, <laughs> I could argue like nobody's business, but <clears throat> when it came to writing, I was like, oh, bloody hell, like, what, you know, what this, what's this going to be like? And so I had, I had written off writing a book at all. Um, and my agent, big up my agent, who's like the youngest literary agent in the country, black woman. And um, she DM'd me, she was like, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, oh, shut up. Like, you know, I was like, I'd need an agent. And she was like, I am an agent. And Honestly, the absolute driving force behind me having that belief in myself and my parents, you know, my mum, rest her soul, like she she was like always throughout my whole childhood, like nothing was ever too big for me to achieve. And from, you know, and my dad was exactly the same. Um, and so, you know, imposter syndrome, what? Like I, you know, once upon a time I was like, yeah, it's imposter syndrome. And I was like, it's what everyone else wants you to think. Yeah, Everyone exactly feeds right. you a narrative yeah. of imposter syndrome. Like, do you have yeah. imposter syndrome? It's like, well, do you think I should? You know, <laughs> and it's also because they don't want you to have this, particularly as a black woman. Like, they don't want you to be proud. They don't want you to, because they'll tell you it's arrogant and they'll tell you, like, even your own family will tell you, you know, that's, mm, mm, that's not womanly. That's not feminine. That's whatever. Like, boys can be arrogant, but girls, oh no. And so it's like, actually, I'm not arrogant. I just know who I am. You know, and I can I can say what I'm good at and I'm terrible at writing, but that's why you've got editing teams. <laughs> like, you know, I could I knew I had the knowledge and I could put it down. And so yeah, there were moments of nerves and like, oh my gosh, are you really doing this? But for all those who are listening, this book, this book is my life's work. This book is something I am, alongside my children, is my life's best work. And it will help so many, but it will only get to you if you need it. So trust me, if you found this, if you found this episode and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's because you're supposed to. I've written it and I don't push, um, you know, I don't, I don't kind of um, promote myself in that way. My sister's always like, why don't you say you can find this in my book? And I'm like, because my book will land where it needs to land. And it's like all gems, you know, they land in the hands that they need to. So 
it is it is it's brilliant it's a brilliant 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 piece of work um, you know i'm so glad to hear you say that no 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 don't downplay it it's brilliant, you'll get that you know it's it's a reflective tool it's an inner it's an inner work but it's a life's work it's to teach mm. people it's not just about birth it's not just about birth trauma this is life this is things that i want you to take through you know, into your relationships, into your friendships, into your parents and your grandparents. This is stuff that I want you to stop and think and reframe and reflect and go forth and live a life that is honest and true to you. Um, and this is why this book will never be popular in the mainstream, because if we create people that do that, then we have critical thinkers and we don't want critical thinkers. But that's a whole other podcast. But, you know, the point is, I want you to look at yourself and look at your life and look at the things that happen to you and with you critically. I want you to be honest. I want you to reflect. I want you to reframe and reinform, readjust, remove the things that weren't serving you. And that's what the book will help you do. That's what I, I was going to say. You know, no, you've done it already. So I don't even, <laughs> I don't even need to say it, but um. Obviously, for all of you listening, I, I, I said to Liam before we we started. Once it gets to around forty minutes, you'll you'll hear me start to try bring it to a close. But I also warned her it'll get to around forty minutes, and we'll still be chatting. <laughs> so, um, but this kind of isn't this this is an indication of us slowly bringing this to an end. Because actually, before I say it, Liam. Where do you stand on, and I think you've indicated that it earlier on, actually, because mm. I think you've made several references to it, but I think it's important to reiterate. Where do you stand on looking at this topic mm. through the lens of the mother, the partner, the wider family, Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just stop there. It could be a wider community because it could be like things like church or your your religious, whichever yeah. particular religious organization or denomination, etc., that you might be with. So it could be wider community in fairness. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on who needs to hear this? Like, and that's a weird, that's a weird thing and point I'm trying to make to you here. Mm-hmm. Because I guess because the 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 kind of Someone will see this title. Someone will see this podcast title, right? So I'll, once I drop this on my socials, someone will see the one about birth trauma, right? And mm. I predict that the majority of men on my timeline socials will be like, well, that's nothing to do with me. Mm. So, so that's where my question, that's where my framing of this question is coming from. Where do you stand on who this is for? Who needs to embrace this? Who needs to hear this? So when you, for example, are with a, let's call client, let's say client for argument's mm-hmm. sake, mm-hmm. do you say to them, you know what, you need to bring your partner in or this needs to extend to your family. Like we this, this is bigger than you. Yeah. Let me just, let me just leave that hanging. Let me see where you take that one. It's always bigger than just the individual. Mm. You know, everything today wants us to act like it's in isolation, like we're in isolation. It it encourages this kind of weird independence that is unsafe. It's actually the cause of many issues. And so it's it's always bigger than you. It's always, always bigger than you. When, because you don't do it alone. Mm. You didn't make that baby alone. You won't have birthed that baby alone. And you won't be raising that baby alone. So why do you have to be alone in that experience? You often aren't. Mm -hmm. Why are you alone in the unpacking of that experience? Because it wasn't just you there. Now, that's whether it was a healthcare professional. That's whether it was your mother, brother, friend or foe. doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. You were not alone. As you go through the postpartum period, there'll be people coming in and out of your life who are there to support you, to not support you, to do whatever. It's for them too. If you are engaging with anyone who has had children, who is going to have children, and you perhaps will be in their life, even for a minute, it's for you too. Mm. Because why do we think that we get to go into what is such a vulnerable time ignorant? Why do we think that we're beyond needing the knowledge? Why do we think that that person... And that child or those children are not worthy of us coming into that space with any 
type of insight. And I'm not saying you have to be a professional, but I'm saying you have to have an awareness. I don't go into any space unaware. You won't catch me slipping. I don't like to be caught off guard. So it's like, okay, why would I go into that space like that? Well, I don't. So it's like, if you're looking at this, you're going, yeah, but that's not applicable to me. It's because you haven't heard it. Yes. And if you haven't heard it, it's because you, you chose not to. And so there will be something in this for everyone. At the beginning of my book, <clears throat> there's a whole list. This book is for you if, this book is for you if, this book is for you if. But 20 different people or 20 different kind of <clears throat> um, positions or situations where the book is applied to. And I say the same with this podcast and I say the same with most things that I'm on. Uh, it's for you if you're willing. It's for you if you want to hear. It's for you if you want to understand. It's for you if you want to serve. So for partners, you want to serve your partner? I'm telling yes, you right. as a woman, if my husband came to me and was like, I understand, I'd be like, hallelujah. He would live a good old life, I'm telling you. So go to your partner and be like, I listened and I heard and I'm here to serve. If you're a mother and you're going to your daughter, you, you know, your grandparent, you're going to your daughter and you're going, and how are you? Yes. What does that do for your relationship with your daughter? Who's like, but you get it. You aren't just putting your own stuff out here and you're not, you're not telling me to just get on with it. You're asking me how I am. You're seeing me. Amazing. If you're a friend, knowing that you don't need to have experienced something to show empathy and compassion, you've served your friend and you've served your future friends and you've served your inner mother. So it's like, this is for everyone. Take that how you will. No, no, I love that. I love that. And do you know what? <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, but... <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe I'm about to uh, say this on on a pod where I know people are going to hear me say this. But you know what? It is what it is. I have to say it. You just said something, and I had an instant flashback as soon as you said it. <laughs> as soon as you said it. Do you know when my daughter was in the early stages of, let's say within the first year, I don't think I said to her mother, how are you? I don't mm -hmm. think I did. I don't think I did. And if her mother is listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Because no, it's a, but you just saying that, it, it's, it hit me instantly. I was like, snap. Three simple words, and I don't think. And but in fairness, I'm not now. Now I try to defend myself. <laughs> in fairness, I think I was going from my own yes. internalized issues mm -hmm. that basically had shut me down. Mm -hmm. I'd shut. I'd shut my whole self down. In 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 essence, and I know, like you, I know you say you don't know what you don't know, but I I I, I weren't I, I I weren't processing the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and properly so I and I say this I guess for those listening to say what I'm getting from listening to to Ilian as well is this starts with allowing your you have to be honest you have to be you have to yeah yeah you have to be honest to say yeah you know what don't have the answer. It's one it's okay to feel the way I'm feeling yeah. I don't yeah. have the answers now let me try go explore this yeah. as opposed to almost like fumbling mm -hmm. fumbling around in the dark till you see but also something. that thing of like being defensive and trying to yes. justify it and it's just like actually do you know what because what the most important thing is yes you may not have asked your partner how she was or your child's mother how she was but did you ask yourself and how am i yeah 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 because if yeah. you have started with yourself and extended that same thing out then it would be like well i have the capacity to hear because i've checked in with myself i've made sure that i'm okay to then make sure if you're okay. How are you going to ask if anyone else is okay if you yourself are not okay? So actually, mm. when you think about this now, it's like, I'm going to go back and think, how was I at that time? Yeah. And, and then if I think about how I was, how must she have been? Yes, yes. So you apply that same grace to yourself. This is not about anyone being wrong, anyone being bad. Like, you know, this is just, we were in the trenches. Mm. And no one checked in on us. We didn't check in on ourselves. And that's what we've learned. Love it. And actually, so you've, you've segued it brilliantly for me to actually close the podcast. So, Ilian, uh, like I say, people, you think I'm joking. I have never met 
or spoken to Ilian in her life up until today, probably. But um, Ilian, I, I want to I want you to do one thing for me, which is mm. I guess the fifty. It says fifty five minutes. It's fifty five minutes have flown by. Um, what's the what, what's the gem? What's the nugget? What's the what's the piece of advice you want to leave with people to take away? Other than obviously go buy the birth debrief because that, that's what people should do and give it to whoever you feel needs it yeah. um or would benefit from it i would remember people the link is in the descriptions below so don't say to me how do i buy it it's in the description below but that's, um what's the what's the gem what's the nugget that um i've written down here i'm going to read you what i put on my paper what's the one th- i put here what is the thing you wish people knew that they possibly didn't know i guess now at the end of this kind of pause and wrapping it all up what's the what's that one takeaway or two or three or four yeah be where you are be who you are and be how you are Mm. that is the only way we often are trying to go forward like i'm gonna be this mother i'm gonna be this partner i'm gonna be this friend it's like meet yourself where you are and go forward with it there. So if you are nervous, if you are traumatized, if you are anxious, if you are apprehensive, be there and work from that point. Don't try and be anywhere else. Don't try and be anyone else. Mm. Don't compare. Be where, be who, be how. And then you go forward. Awesome. Ilium, first things first, thank you so much for coming on the Gamers again. Pleasure. Secondly, how can people find you? Now, I heard you say earlier in the podcast something about six weeks, probably six months now waiting list. <laughs> but, but in general, how can people find you, books, socials, etc.? Yeah, so you can find me at Mixing Up Motherhood. My website is mixingupmotherhood.com. Um, that is for any of my services, but also I give a lot of stuff like information with free so it's always a space that I try and keep as accessible as possible I like to always tell people that I offer a paid forward service where you can pay for a session for someone who perhaps can't afford it this is anonymous um this means that there are people who perhaps financially do not have the means but have a deep-rooted need for support and and together we can help them too um I have recently launched a podcast of my own called The Birth Debrief. This is 10-minute sound bites of things that perhaps you might need. Start your day right. Um, and, you know, hopefully my wisdom and expertise will guide you gently, which is always the aim. Um, and you can find that on all listening platforms. Um, other than that, yeah, you can find me at Mixing Up Motherhood. If you have any questions, anything I can help you with, just DM me and I will do my best to get back to you. And, and. Anilion means this, by the way. Um, if when when you go and press follow um, on Insta, for example, the 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 updates on there, and some of you will listen to this guy, Mash. What are you talking about? But I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. I've been on there. <laughs> the updates on there, they're so informative. They're useful. Um, there's things that Ilion has put up on there, which I've just, you know I've just read them like yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and I'm, a, I'm the father of a five-year-old now, but the, the things are equally as relevant as they would have been when my daughter was six months to one year to now at, at, at five years. And as as you probably can tell by what I've, some of the stuff I've said in the pod, it's allowed me also to reflect back mm. on, on on certain and certain things because of how um, how deep Ilian uh, goes into this. And I, you, I will just say as we as we finally close it. <laughs> Ilian doesn't hide from the critics either. I wasn't joking when I when I said that. <laughs> when she gets those, when she gets those anonymous negative ones, she's happy yeah. to confront it. She's not she's not hiding from them and pretending they and pretending they don't exist. She will unpick it and clap back if she needs to. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And all of that. So do go do go and follow the socials. Um, um it really, it really is worth your time. But um Ilian, thank you so much for, for coming on. I, as soon as this is done, I, I must send a, a message to my sister. She was right. <laughs> Big up Michelle. Big up Michelle. <laughs> she, was, she was right to to to, to be um, pestering me for a long time to get this done. And um, it's been a learning experience. 
It's been a real learning experience for me. I hope it's been really helpful for others as well. Um, like I say, people, please go on all the links in the description below and make sure you follow um, Ilian where she is doing all of her work. But thank you again, Ilian. Uh, very much appreciated. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been another episode of The Game is the Game. You know what to do. When I finally stop talking, you'll hear something at the end talking about where you can find everything. Go, go do all that. Press like, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to The Game is the Game with Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt. If you enjoyed that episode and you'd like to find out more about the work I do, you can head to linktr.ee forward slash mash st paddy if you'd like to find me on twitter you can find me at mash st paddy and if you'd just like to email me about anything you're interested in or that episode made you think about or anything in particular you can email me at mstpatrick at gmail.com <laughs>